Welcome to Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. And why am I doing a podcast? Well, I think mainly because I want to inspire. I'm a pastry chef. I haven't always been a pastry chef. I've also done other things like acting or my acting attempts. And I'm trying to figure out how to combine baking or my knowledge of baking with acting. Hey, look at that. That was a cool sound effect. So I originally was born in Germany and I moved to the U.S. when I was 15. But in between that, I grew up in England. I've always been creative. I've always been artistic. And no, my parents were not in the military. That's something I always got asked. My parents were dental technicians, and um, I'll get into that another time. But as long as I can remember, I've always had a love for baking. I would bake with my mom, who was always very busy working. And I remember we would bake for Christmas. We would make traditional German Christmas cookies, or we would bake a cake. So... For each of us, myself and my two older brothers, whenever it was our birthday, she would give us a book, a cookbook, and say, you can pick any cake for your birthday. And for a child to hear that, it's the most amazing thing, because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to pick the most complicated cake in here. And no matter what, she would always make it exactly the way it looked in the picture. And it was amazing. And I was so in awe of how she would make it. To think of that memory is really nice. I never thought I would work in a kitchen professionally. Baking and cooking at home with my family, it's something that we just did. My mom would always yell up at dinner time, so up the stairs, because me and my two brothers were always doing something upstairs. <laughs> and I would hear my mom yelling up the stairs, Essen machen, which means in German, make food. <laughs> and we would always be like, oh, you know, like this heavy sigh and groan, because we don't want to help make dinner. But we didn't, we couldn't say no to my mom. She was not a person you would say no to. We would all go downstairs and... It was a family of five. We all had tasks. She would give each and every one of us a task. And dinner would be done fast. We could cook very early on. We would think of flavor combinations. We would bake. We would do all kinds of things in the kitchen because it was just normal. You know, we had to do it. So we got good at it. And that was a really clever thing my mom did because... Later on, when I was dating or in a relationship, the people that I was dating could never really even chop certain things or cook certain things. And I thought, wow, my mom uh, really did something good there. Like I said, I never really thought I would bake in the kitchen professionally. It kind of happened because cooking and baking was something I did to relieve stress from auditioning from acting. Throughout my life, I did theater. That was also a casual thing. I remember starting off 
in theater in England. They were always kind of big musical ensemble things. And I would never get cast as a lead. I didn't have the appearance. I've never been skinny. I've always been more full-figured and I would never get the lead. I always enjoyed acting, so I would always get cast in the ensemble, in the choir, something like that. And it was just something I enjoyed. So when I moved to the US, I had to choose an elective. And I'd never heard of that before because you don't call it elective in England. But I chose an elective and I knew I wanted to be an artist, a painter. Um, so I chose painting. It wasn't until I saw a show from the drama club at the school I went to in New Mexico. Isn't that weird? Moving from Europe to New Mexico. At the time, I thought it was crazy because I've never seen a tumbleweed except for in Westerns. And I was so like in awe of this whole moving from green to the desert. It was so new to me. But I went to school in New Mexico and it was a small private school. And I watched the show put on by the drama club and I was so taken by that show. After that, I said, I'm gonna join this drama club. And I did. And I, after that was in multiple shows and I've never been, how do I say, like I've moved a lot from countries. And I remember the first time I moved from Germany to England, I was sitting there in class age five, I knew everybody was talking about me. They were all staring at me, but I couldn't understand a word they were saying. And that was when I started becoming very, just not self-confident, or maybe I never was. I don't really know when it began, but moving made it hard for sure. But I used art to hide behind, to escape because life at home was tough for sure. And there's a lot to say about that, <laughs> but I'm trying to get to the point of why acting. So I did get into multiple shows in high school. One that I remember vividly was Baby with the Bathwater by Christopher Durang. And I made it my own. I had this crazy red wig on it was like a Marge Simpson wig. And I just loved comedy. You know, these twisted people that just use comedy. Even though when you look at comedians, they're the saddest people. And I think I am, or I was for sure. Um, you know, but I used the art, I used the acting to escape. And at the time I had a British accent, I moved, let me just do a little bit right now. So I made everything my own on stage. And right before I went to high school in New Mexico, I worked at Taco Bell. If that's not funny, I think that's really funny. Um, for example, an order would be, uh, 
So you want two bean burritos, two tacos, and an order of cinnamon twists. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so I had this British accent, and I really enjoyed that because it made me really popular. I had never been very popular, except for in acting class, also in drawing class, because I was good at those things, and I was confident in those. I was in this show, Baby with the Bathwater, and just the sound of hearing people laugh in the audience made my year. It was, it was amazing. And I knew this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do um, always, you know, and paint. But unexpectedly, we moved again from New Mexico to Atlanta, Georgia. My mom had to work there. And it was like almost overnight. It was a very emotional thing for me, just being torn away from where I had found a niche. And I only had one year left of high school. So for my senior year, we moved to a brand new school. This school had 3,000 students. The other school I went to had 400. I was so depressed <laughs> because here I was starting all over again. So then came the time to choose an elective and I could only choose one because I had to fulfill Georgia requirements to graduate. So because I thought, okay, I'm going to go into drawing that I would take a drawing class. And I actually got into an advanced placement drawing class, um, which I enjoyed, but through that process, I realized I miss acting. Like acting is what I want to do. And that's when I looked into colleges. I got this booklet and I read up all these colleges. And then there it was, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City. And I thought, wow, I wonder what that would be like. <laughs> and I had been to New York before. We visited from England. Um, my parents had some business there, and I came with them. And funnily enough, here's a random story. I have a lot of those. But the first time I was in New York, we walked around the outskirts of Central Park, like not in the park, but on the sidewalk, my parents are walking ahead. I'm like 12 years old. This person comes up to me in a trench coat. This is like early 90s in New York City. He opens up his trench coat. He's naked. He's flashing me. And what happens is when I get shocked, I completely freeze. And I don't like say anything. Like, <laughs> so... When people think I'm scared, like they don't know that I'm scared, but inside I'm like terrified and I don't do anything. And my parents are laughing and I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, <laughs> is that a normal reaction of parents? I don't know, but that's my New York story. Um, the first time I was in New York. So here I am thinking, hmm, maybe I should move to New York. <laughs> it wasn't because of that flasher experience, but the most crazy experiences I've ever experienced in life happened in New York City. 
I decided to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and I had to do an audition in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember that audition. I don't remember the piece that I did, but it was super nerve wracking. And what happens is when I'm stressed for an audition, I get super cold, my hands get freezing, and I keep going over the line, the line, you know, like, because a nightmare would be to forget the line, which happens to every actor at some point. Um, and I get in this hotel downtown Atlanta, and I did the audition. It wasn't perfect, but the person auditioning said, okay, do it again. And he gave me some sort of direction, and I did. And afterwards, when I left the room, I just cried because it was such a huge stress relief. And, but it was also exhilarating. And that was the only college I applied to. I did get in. I got in and I moved to New York. And what I learned those first two years was everything. Like I learned fencing, I learned voice and speech. And this whole time I had a British accent, and that's where basically I got put on um, like speech therapy because they said if I have this British accent, I will get boxed in for roles and that I had to learn an American dialect. So that's when I realized, wow, this is a big part of my who I am, you know? where we come from, our dialects, our accents. It's a part of who we consider to be. And if I change that, would I be as popular? Would I be liked? You know, it's like this whole psychological view. And, and I had to just let it go. I thought, okay, I'm going to completely succumb to this general American accent. And I did, and it was then that I realized I can always go back to a British dialect or a German dialect. And, and that's when I realized, okay, it's all right, you know, but that was a big moment for me to realize that. And I lived in New York for seven years, and in that time, I got into two things. Hospitality, because I needed a job, and working in a restaurant was flexible. So I became a greeter at a restaurant. And also I would go to auditions. I got into some voiceover work because I speak German. I moved to LA and that's where I became part of the Screen Actors Guild because I worked on a video game called Saboteur. Before I got that video game, I was in a car accident. I was on my way to acting class in LA and I stopped at a red light and a Mini Cooper flies into my car at around 40 miles per hour and totals my car and I had a spinal injury and after that I it was hard because I had a lot of physical pain and I couldn't work at my serving job that I had to make regular money. But a few weeks prior to that accident, I did audition 
for this video game. And it was the first time that I did an audition. I left, I was about to go in the elevator, and the producer comes back and says they want to see you again. So I thought, wow, this, this is a good sign. But it took probably another couple of months until I officially got the part. And in between that, the car accident happened. I was married at the time, and the accident is definitely something that changed our relationship. And it was hard for me to deal with the pain. I would paint a lot because I didn't want to take painkillers. And that's when I started to bake a lot more. It helped me de-stress. It helped me not focus on what was really going on. And the thing that was missing when I would bake was the technique. The things I would bake would look home bakerish, not professional. Friends would say to me, why don't you go to culinary school? You know, my mom said this, my ex said this, and so I, I did. I went to culinary school. It was after this voiceover job, and I thought, okay, I can just do voiceover work and um, culinary at the same time. Why not? And, <laughs> you know, I'd never worked in the kitchen before professionally, so here I am being like, yeah, let me just do both. Little did I know, um, yeah, that's kind of hard. When you work in the kitchen, that's a, it's a different life for sure. But I gave culinary school everything I had. You know, I didn't have a regular job um, because I was on disability for my car accident. I had just done the voiceover. I was dealing with some physical pain, but I had to do something. You know, um, it did heal a good amount. And that's when I started culinary school. I was living in LA and I went to school in Pasadena. And it was a intense 10 month program. It was very expensive. And uh, I was nervous because here I was at 29, completely shifting my life, not knowing what would happen. And I was super nervous because I thought, well, what if, what if they don't think I'm any good? And my ex said, that's why you're going to school, to learn and to be good. I think that was like one of the best things he said, because it's true. I woke up at 4.30 a.m. to get there. Class would start at 6 a.m. It would go to noon. And after that, I would go home and go over all the techniques that I made that day. <clears throat> and I mastered it. You know, I got a 4.0. I decided, like we had to do an internship for five weeks. And I knew early on in the program that I wanted to do an international internship. And I decided on Italy. And I had no idea of how to go about it. But it was through the school that um, somebody came. And he actually wanted to kind of recruit people for an Italian internship which was kind of interesting timing because I thought, wow, this is perfect. And I did, I signed up, you know, I had to pay my way. I didn't get paid for it, but it was the most amazing experience I had. You know, at that point, 
I thought, wow, my wedding day has been the most amazing day of my life. <laughs> and then I went to Italy and I'm like, no, <laughs> this is the most amazing experience. Um, <laughs> but it truly was. Yes, I worked hard. Maybe regular 14-hour days, we'd have siesta in between. I worked at a family-run restaurant, and I made desserts, I made pasta, I made pizza. They had this outdoor oven, this brick oven. I hung out with the employees that worked there. They showed me the real Rome, because I worked outside of Rome. So on our days off, we would travel. Um, I went up to Florence, and it was just beautiful. And I was so happy, even though I was working a lot. It was okay. You know, for the first time, I felt like, wow, like, this is something I really love. You know, even in culinary school, I would practice for hours. I would practice making sugar flowers for hours. And it was okay. Like a lot of people ask me now, you know, as a pastry chef, and when I find out I did acting, they're like, wow, those are two completely different things. And actually they're not. They're very similar. They're both very adrenaline filled. They're both art. One is that you view, the other is you eat, but they're very similar. Um, yes, the kitchen is filled with high-strung chefs that like to yell and occasionally throw plates, but uh, that's also part of the industry, I don't know. They really are more similar than you might think. I just really came alive in Italy. The one thing that was happening was that my relationship with my ex was falling apart. We were growing apart. That's the sadness that I felt when I was in Italy, wishing that he could be with me, you know, that we could share this together. I always seem to do a lot by myself in my marriage because ultimately we didn't share the same interests. That was always very sad for me, you know, because the reason I got married was to spend my life with this person and not to go and travel by myself. Ultimately, our relationship fell apart. I left. I left the relationship. I fled, more like. But before I left, after culinary school, I worked at a couple of high-profile jobs. My first job was working at Moza in Hollywood, uh, run by Nancy Silverton and Mari Batali at the time. And... It was my first job, so because it was well-known and revered in L.A., of course I got paid like $9 an hour. It was like super low, and I'd never made that little money before, except for a Taco Bell, <laughs> which was like five fifty an hour. Um, you know, so I wasn't too far off. I remember I got the job. But at the same time, it was the worst job. So what happens is in the kitchen, you start at the bottom. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you might rise, you know, but you definitely have to show what you're made of. 
And this kitchen certainly did that. And I was very green to the whole kitchen experience. My job was to work on the hotline in pastry, which meant frying donuts. It meant making crepes, anything that had anything hot on any dessert. I made that part of it. It was, I don't know, 120 degrees um, in the kitchen. I was sweating. I had to dip my head aside the pan because my sweat was dripping. The pastry chef would mumble something to me that I couldn't understand. And I was kind of scared of her. <laughs> she was a bit scary. Like most chefs in the kitchen. Um, if I didn't understand, I would say, um, uh, chef, I'm sorry, what was that? And she'd mumble again. And I had no clue what she was saying. She's like, it's in the walk-in. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yes, chef. Like I'd open the walk-in and think, what is it that she could have said looking around? And then she opens the door and she's like, the strawberry jam. And I'm like, yes, chef. Like, and she was so traumatizing. Like I was traumatized that I would every day something would happen and I would have to take like a 10 second break in the walk-in and cry for like 10 seconds and like pull it back together and go back out. Like it was very intense. I wasn't there very long because a chef from culinary school offered me a job or new connections that I could work at Bouchon, which was owned by Chef Thomas Keller. And at the time, you know, he was a huge deal. And I definitely wanted out of this kitchen, even though the desserts were excellent. And it gave me a lot of inspired ideas in the future that I didn't know at that point, but at Moza, the ingredients were first rate and the pastry chef's ideas were really great desserts. So I did learn a lot, even though I was just there a few months. I gave my notice there and I gave two weeks notice, typical, you know, respectful. And then she said, you know what? just finish today and then you can leave. Like she was clearly upset that I was leaving, um, which, wow, I thought this is really messed up. And um, I'm like, fine, you know, sure. And so I did get the job at Bouchon, which was in Beverly Hills. And this kitchen is the most beautiful kitchen. It's brand new. It's opposite a hotel in Beverly Hills and it was like I think they spent over 20 million everything was shiny and perfect like I've never worked in anything like that since <laughs> and um, maybe one other kitchen but still not like this I mean this was the most beautiful kitchen and as soon as you'd spill something, you'd wipe it away really fast. And remember, this is only my second job. I still had a lot to learn, but working at Bouchon, I learned a lot of 
managerial things, how to organize uh, your time, how to make classic desserts. You know, the desserts were not super tricky, but they were all very classic and they had to be done in a certain way, a certain technique. Like Chef Keller, when he visited, we had to make this um, lemon tart, which was always on the menu. But we knew he was coming and it had to be done like perfect because he would pull out his ruler and measure to make sure that it was the right height, which it's all very intense. <laughs> a story with Chef Keller is that I made a cake and I would make a lot of cakes at Bouchon and one of them was for a 70th birthday. And I bring it up to the line and the person on the line says, is that for Chef Keller? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't think so. And they said, I think it is because there's no other cake. And then I got super nervous because my pastry chef didn't tell me that it was for Chef Keller and his seven, you know, his 70 year old friend. So here I am, I have crazy butterflies, super nervous. And next thing I know, Thomas Keller comes in the kitchen and he's like, who made that cake? And uh, I did chef, it, I did, <laughs> like super scared. And he shakes my hand and he said, well, you made a 70 year old lady very happy. And I thought, wow, like how great was that for him to come back here to the kitchen and tell me that. And that's the first time I really met a chef who was so respectful. He would go around the whole kitchen, shake everybody's hand, saying hello, including the dishwashers, because you need every roll in the kitchen for it to run smoothly, which rarely is the case that every roll is filled because usually somebody is sick or not there, um, which, you know, everybody in the kitchen, of course, knows. But same with acting on stage. You know, you need all the people with the lights, uh, behind the set, the actors. You need every one of those people in the cast for it to run smoothly. Same as any kitchen. And that's the first time I really met a chef that I respected. Because before that, celebrity chefs would just boss people around and treat everybody like minions. And this was the first time that he, Chef Keller, was treating everybody like we, we belonged in the kitchen. And I never forgot that. I did end up leaving because my relationship failed. I left for Arizona because my mom lived there. And I was in a state of midlife crisis because little did I know, but two weeks later, I was served with divorce papers. But I knew the marriage was over. I just didn't know how it would end up going after I left. Um, because I was just, I was a mess. I didn't talk to anybody except for my mom. I didn't 
reach out to anybody before I left. Even my closest friends, I didn't tell them that I was leaving because, you know, they were all friends with my ex. I didn't know who to trust. So after I left, people did reach out, but I didn't. I just turned off my phone because I had to figure out that I was safe, that I was okay. I didn't work for about nine months because of how low I was. I went to therapy. I, I was going through a divorce. I was going through a custody battle. No, we didn't have any children, but we had a dog. And I took the dog, and despite me, he wanted her back. But um, that wasn't going to happen. And it was in Arizona, because I had worked where I worked, that I got a job as a pastry chef. Before that, I was only a pastry cook. I became a pastry chef at a country club in Arizona, in Flagstaff. That was where I could do anything I wanted. They just said, okay, make certain desserts for certain events and dinners and breakfasts and lunches, and you can do anything you want. And I thought, wow, like I can be as creative as I want. And that just really lights me up, you know, anywhere I work. And it was a big deal for me, you know, to become a pastry chef and to have this freedom. And I did really well there. And that's where I learned to make bread. Bread, I was never good at making in culinary school. I was good at cakes and detailed things because it had measurements. Bread is a instinctual thing. You, you feel the dough. It changes how much water you add depending on if it's raining out. The moisture changes the dough. And I learned all that there. And it was mainly through practice. You know, all these things were told to me in culinary school. And I did what was told, but I didn't understand. It didn't fully sink in. And since we changed our modules every four weeks, you have limited time to fully understand. You know, it's when you start working in the field that you really start to get it. And I had to make bread for bread service. And that's when I really started to get it. I loved it. It was through that job that I got another job in Palm Springs at a hotel. For me, I was very proud of that because this is when I left living with my mom who helped me through my divorce emotionally. When I moved to Palm Springs, it was the first time ever in my life that I lived alone. Because before that, in New York, I had roommates. In um, LA, you know, I was married. So living alone was so freeing for me, and I loved it. At the hotel, it was very challenging, because as hotels are, they're open 24-7. Somebody always wants something. And I had to make a lot of wedding cakes. And I remember this very traumatic event. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of traumatic events, but you know, that's what happens in the kitchen. You just get through it. I was making a wedding cake 
and I had to deliver it to the wedding. And this hotel was all very far apart. They were in different parts of the property, but it wasn't smooth how to get there. I had this janky like cart and basically the door frames were not level and it was scary. It was scary to move. It was a tall three-tier cake and it was hot outside and the wedding party was waiting for their cake. So here's four people rolling the cart with me. The door frame is uneven. So basically the cart gets pulled down like this side of the door frame, like a small step, and it's warm. The top tier falls off. I catch it and I tell my team, get back inside, get back inside. <laughs> this was like such a surreal moment, like a nightmare, basically. They <laughs> get back in the kitchen, managers are constantly checking because they cannot start the reception without the cake ready in the ballroom. Here I am frantic, like my heart is pounding. I'm telling my assistants, just whip the buttercream, whip the buttercream, use the torch. You know, and I'm, I'm just trying to keep it all calm inside. My hands are shaking and I'm thinking, okay, just breathe, just breathe. Because how am I going to smooth out the buttercream with my hands shaking? My assistants are looking at me like, oh my God. <laughs> and I did it. You know, we did it as a team. They did the buttercream. I put it on. It didn't look perfect but it was dark in the ballroom and I turned the kind of messed up side that you couldn't tell, you know? I mean, I could tell because I looked closely and I lived the nightmare, but you couldn't tell. After that, I just had to sit for like 20 minutes. To, you know, that was such a disaster. But moments like that, you know, you never forget and you learn from them. I ended up leaving that hotel I moved back to Arizona. My mom was not feeling well. I helped her. In that time, I baked a lot because I wasn't working. She had like nerve damage in her arm and she basically couldn't do anything. So I had to drive her to therapy. I had to feed her, you know, I had to cook. And next to that meant, okay, I'm gonna bake. I needed money. So I decided to host karaoke which, again, another style of performing, but I love karaoke, you know, definitely a different kind of job, but also fun. And it was through that, that I met a chef friend and he was opening up a cafe and he asked me, you know, for help. Um, we had worked together on a couple of like local teachings. Um, where there were classes run in town. I helped him in the cafe and little did I know it would become a big deal. You know, I just started a couple days a week. There I also had creative rain. When that happens, I always flourish. And I decided to bring European pastries into the mix. It was a breakfast place, but I also made desserts. It was super popular. 
there were donut days on Saturdays, and I made these French crullers, which were very popular. And people at first didn't know what to make of them, but it was later on that they couldn't get enough. So for donut day, I would make hundreds of donuts, and they would all sell out. I worked there for a few years, and it was through word of mouth in Flagstaff that I got a job at a local culinary school. I would be the baking instructor, and it was seasonal. So I did both. I worked at the cafe, and I taught as an instructor in Sedona, which was the second most beautiful kitchen I worked in. Brand new, beautiful equipment, shiny, beautiful mixer. You know, at the cafe, everything's secondhand, like breaking once every, I don't know, two months. And here everything worked perfectly and it was beautiful and clean and I really enjoyed that job. After working at the cafe for five years, I realized I wanted to become a better chef, better myself. And that's when I wanted to learn more about chocolate. I decided to move to Switzerland and that in itself is a huge story. But I worked in Switzerland for basically a year because that's when COVID happened as well. I worked at a chocolate factory. I learned how to make chocolate. I learned all the ins and outs. I worked in the factory. I packaged it. That was a very interesting experience, but amazing too, because this giant factory that has about three to 400 employees, it's just chocolate running on each level in the pipes you know, because everyone has to have access to running chocolate. So to work in a place like that was so unreal. And you just smelled the chocolate. And when I first got there, you know, you can try all the chocolate you want when you're there, but you can't take it with you. So I would try all the chocolate and I would eat so much chocolate. <laughs> like it was crazy, but the chocolate was so good. It was perfect. It was creamy. It had perfect amount of cocoa butter. I couldn't stop eating it. It was through that that I got a job um, working in New York again. It was very unexpected and I never thought that I would really return to New York. But this time it was for being a chocolatier. I worked on Fifth Avenue. The company is Ledrach and I was the head chocolatier. The company was new in the U.S. and it was still figuring out its footing. But it was there that I had the third most beautiful kitchen and it was everything for chocolate. I had my own tempering machines. Um, I had marble countertops and I took the opportunity to make chocolate sculptures, to practice. I became really good at chocolate work. And it was something that I was really proud of. And it was through that that I ended up working where I do now in Aspen, Colorado. And here I'm the head pastry chef. I wanted to tell you just about this, about my culinary career. I think my next step is to delve into the science of baking, what I love about baking, why baking. I mean, there's so much to talk about. The kitchen is a place of passion, of art. It's trying to meet all the crazy requests that the guests have. And it's the place of struggle, ultimately love. 
You know, we we want to put love in our food as chefs because we care about what we're doing. The reason I've moved so much and have tried to become the best chef that I can be is because I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to feel bored in a position. I want to keep on learning and have adventures at the same time. And I'm so glad for all the experiences I've had. And I know they're not over. And I'm still having more. And currently, I'm so happy to be where I am because I get to create and be creative. And that's ultimately what I strive for. It's important for me to talk about my life as well as to incorporate my baking because there's the reason that I bake is because of what's going on in my life. Everything for me is emotionally connected and I refuse to just be stagnant and be unhappy in life. So it's important for me to talk about that. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. I'm Chef KB, and this was an episode of Cat the Baker. Join me on Instagram at Chef KB or on YouTube at Cat the Baker. 